This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm just like that. January up in smoke in the books. On to February you go. Coming up in the second hour of the show, engineers from the University of Colorado, go Buffaloes, have developed a smart walk-in stick using artificial intelligence. Nelson Rego of Cool Blind Tech will share more on that story. And it's Tuesday, which means the last segment of the show is occupied by the weekly news quiz. Some fresh contestants joining the show this week, Alicia Yardley from AMI's HR department, Greg David from the marketing department, you know him, and you also know Alex Smythe, a regular fixture and co-host on this show. Just like you know Brock Richardson, he's here for a sports chat. Brock, if somebody ran a timer on the amount we've talked about each Canadian hockey team this year. We have disproportionately covered the Vancouver Canucks, and (laughs) here we find ourselves yet again as the Vancouver Canucks traded their captain and center Bo Horvat to the New York Islanders yesterday. Yeah, they did. Um, And listen, this is not of a surprise to me. Um, Bo Horvat is a talented hockey player and his talents were uh being i don't want to use the word wasted but he was he wasn't getting the best opportunity in uh, vancouver and so this was a move that i'm not surprised by uh they got a few draft picks plus a few extra players anthony bovillier and and to rent um and so I think this is good. I think this is a step where you can look and say, Vancouver's, you know, finally sort of agreeing to this rebuild. I think everyone was like, well, maybe if you build around Bo, well, that's no longer the case. And I think this is a good move if you're Vancouver and looking up and up, uh, hopefully for the future, if you are a Canucks fan. Their head of hockey operations, Jim Rutherford, essentially telegraphed this move in his press conference a few weeks ago. He talked about making a trade that would bring immediate help to the team. So you mentioned Anthony Bolivier, who is a decent sort of third-line NHL hockey player with a little bit of skill that could potentially put him into the top six of your forwards when need be. Uh, Ati Ratu. Or excuse me, Aturati, the Finnish prospect who they acquired, he in his draft year in 2021 was initially projected to be a top 10 pick before sliding all the way down to the 52nd pick in that draft because he just could not produce offense in the Finnish Elite League. He really struggled as a 17 and 18 year old to put points on the board. And finally last year, he had a bit of a breakout in the men's league, in the Finnish Elite League, uh, point, posting more than a point a game for the first time in his career. And somewhat that continued down in the AHL and the minor leagues for the New York Islanders affiliate. So there is something there in Aturati that could be a building block piece for the Canucks. So that's that's a nice little piece of return. It's a project. It's not a guarantee that he's going to develop into what some scouts thought he could be. But there is something there. Clearly, when he gets put in the right position, he is someone who can produce when he's comfortable. And Beauvillier is, is a good player. He's, he's just a good hockey player. He's fine. He's someone who's under contract for a few more years. He's someone that they can utilize every day in their roster. And as this rebuild continues, they can potentially ship him out at a future trade deadline. And getting a first-round pick, it's a conditional first-round pick. The condition being, if it's in the top 12 this year, it gets moved over to next year. If it's not, it goes to the Canucks this year. So they got a situation here where they acquired a, a nice little haul for a good player in Bo Horvat. So, Brock, I've got two elements that I want to tug at this trade for you. Number one, now that the Canucks have made one trade, do you believe there's another one coming down the pipeline? Do you think someone like a Brock Besser or a Connor Garland may get moved out as well as part of this rebuilding? I think you're probably looking at Brock Besser being the next one. At least that's the one on Uh, my radar and again to your earlier point with this 
uh, Vancouver Media wants to sell this as they got two, you know, first round picks with Aturati, as you so eloquently put. And that's fine. But as you point out, it's a work um, in progress. So I don't think we're done here. I think we're looking at, you know, Brock Besser being the next sort of piece to go. And again, that's another player that, you know, ready to play. And so you're going to get some level of haul back, quote unquote. Um, and I think that's what you're going to look forward to, but not most certainly not do I think the Vancouver Canucks are finished because this is just the beginning of, you know, trade season in the NHL and uh, we'll see. But no, I don't think they're done at all. Yeah, people might get mad at me. They're saying, oh, Brock Bresser just signed an extension. You can't trade him. JT Miller just signed an extension. You can't trade him. Yeah, you yeah. can. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you, you, can. You, can, you, can you can trade these people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> actually, actually, the more someone is under contract, the more it is that you can get more viable pieces um, for that person because the longer X team has those, you know, people under contract, the more they have to pay. So in my opinion, if we're going into the, you know, rebuild phase, yeah, this is nobody's off limits here when you're in a rebuild situation. Yeah. But but again, I I don't think Jim Rutherford, their 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 head of hockey operations, wants to call it a rebuild. And I think there is some evidence in the kind of trade that he made here with Bo Horvat, where he's still looking to get some roster players back. So I, I, I wonder if there's not necessarily a super urgency in moving the Bessers or the Garlands or the Millers or even the Tyler Myers, unless he knows he can get back some what we'll call younger pro bodies. It, and that, it, it doesn't seem like they want to go all the way in on a rebuild, which, by the way, is probably a mistake. But they believe that they have players like Elias Peterson and players like Quinn Hughes that are the future of this team. So they've really, they, there's a risk here they're going to stay in the mushy middle. Yeah, and that's the, the danger in which you play this kind of game with yourself and it's like what are we are we a rebuilding team are we mushy middle and gms and you know presidents of hockey operations tend to really have trouble with the idea of a rebuild and so they try to get this whole well we're going to get players back but yes at the same time dave you do have to look out for what's best in your organization so Roster pieces do help, but you do have to be careful that you don't get stuck in the in the middle and be there forever in a day. And and you know then you got annoyed Vancouver fans, and <laughs> you know you don't want that either. But you can't always go on the temperature of your fans either because that can be a dangerous game to play yeah. as well. Uh, let's switch to the New York Islanders side of this, Brock. They currently find themselves on the outside looking in of the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. They're, they're sniffing around. They're close, but they're a team that really struggles to score goals to put up points, despite just an amazing year from their goaltender, Ilya Sorokin. Brock, do you think this is the kind of move that is going to help the Islanders push themselves over the ledge here and maybe fight, knock Pittsburgh or Washington or the Rangers out for one of those later playoff spots in the Eastern Conference? Is it a move that could get you into the the playoffs, uh, the bottom of the playoffs easier? Yes. Is it a move that can make you, you know, be a Stanley Cup contender? No. Yeah. Um, but it at least gives a little bit more of a of your fans some. Okay, we're kind of in this. If you're the Islanders, you know, we got a we got a goal scorer, which is something we're we're missing. We have the goaltending, as you mentioned, and I just think. That, you know, at times we have to look at this and say, you know, we have to do this piece by piece. And this is the beginning uh, for the Islanders in, in kind of seeing what they can do. Yes, a move like this can get them into the into the playoffs, sneak them in. But as for it being a Stanley Cup contender all of a sudden not quite moving the needle in that regard. Yeah, there there's some teams sniffing around there. You've got the Islanders, you've got the Panthers, you've got even the Detroit Red Wings are sniffing just a little bit at those latter spots in the Eastern Conference. But to my eyes, Brock, it really feels like the eight teams that are currently in the playoff picture are the eight teams that will be there at the end, barring some kind of catastrophic collapse 
I don't see Washington or Pittsburgh relinquishing those wildcard spots. I don't see the Rangers after a bit of a tough spot falling out of their zone. And the top three teams in the Atlantic, uh, Tampa, Boston, Toronto, those teams are locked and loaded. So it's going to be a tough haul for the Islanders. But for a team who keeps trying to sell to their fan base, we want to give you some wins. It's the kind of trade you make. The price wasn't too, too high. So nice move all around. Brock, let's turn to the world of international sport. There's been some reporting and news bubbling around that Russia and Belarus are going to be welcomed back at the 2024 Olympics after being excluded from the 2022 games after the invasion of Ukraine. Brock, your reaction to this news? I struggle with this one and I struggle because I don't know when the right time would be to welcome them back to the games and that's that's part of the reason I struggle is that okay if now's not the right time, when? And I don't have the answer for the when. Uh, as far as I'm aware, the, the war is still going on to some level. Maybe not to the height that it was. Um, oh, it, it is. is. It is. Still... It is. It's significant. It's a significant yeah. national conflict. Just because the mainstream media isn't covering it the way it used to be, it's still a significant, significant conflict. That's what I thought. And and that's where I, I struggle. Because if it's still a significant conflict then um are are they welcome back are they relinquishing because the reason you didn't allow them was because of the war going on and if it's still a significant conflict then mm, is now the time i don't think so but i also don't know when would be the time i just think we need another rotation of a games see where things are at, I think it's too early, especially knowing that it's still a significant conflict, even though the media is not covering it as much as they were, which is kind of sad in the end. But, you know, here we are. It's a, it's a difficult question when you're considering the role of international sports because it's not supposed to be an ethics or morals contest as to who gets involved. There were countries like uh, Nazi Germany who were uh, welcome at Olympics in the 20th century. There are plenty of corrupt countries engaged in illegal warfare like Saudi Arabia, what they're doing to the people of Yemen, who have been welcomed at plenty of international sporting events, including the most recent World Cup. So there are countries uh, that got to host, host World Cup Uh, despite significant human rights abuses. So the one thing that keeps coming up here when we're talking about international sports is can you be agnostic from the rest of international affairs? And there's, there's probably something to that, that at the end of the day, if you're concerned that countries are going to be sports washing their reputation via competition in these kinds of events, then that's probably a broader concern about the nature of sport and these events more generally. But there does come a certain point where you have to say as international governing bodies that what are we? Are we some kind of moral or ethical police that says you can or cannot compete in these events because of the actions of government? And if that's the case, then you have to start applying that lens very, very stringently. I hope you don't think that I'm engaging in a game of whataboutism as I'm as I'm doing this <laughs> exercise, but it, it does matter that you can't just pick and choose when you're going to be applying a moral or ethical lens to international sport. And I, and I think to your point, and the thing that crossed my mind even before you started is we all have to remember that if you were to take a lot of these athletes in, you know, rooms and say, you know, what do you think? Uh, They're going to say, I don't agree with it. And so at what point are we punishing athletes for things that they don't agree with? And, you know, um, they're not supported, supporting of. And I think that's part of the question is that you're right. At what point do the Olympic committees have to say, okay, we're doing too much, you know, political policing versus understanding what the level of the games are. I think they did an appropriate thing in saying that they couldn't go to the last few. That's fine. But at some point, you have to say, okay, well, this goes far beyond sport. And we're delving into a in our nature to be able to do and we have to deal with in sports. And I'm going to use a line and it's sort of tongue in cheek. But you know, you often hear the line of stick to sports i think that's where the olympic committees and paralympic committees are kind of stuck in stick it in your lane don't don't cross over you know that's why when i started this and i said is the war still going on The, the truth of the matter is i don't see it on the news i'm a sports guy and yes i do see headlines but if it's not right in front of me i'm not following it as in depthly as i 
probably should as a human, but that's because I'm sports. So stick to your lane of sports if you're the Olympic and Paralympic committees. Brock, speaking of sticking to sports, you are the host of The Neutral Zone, which airs Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio and available for podcast a little bit later in the day. What do you and the crew have coming up on the show today? We have uh, Don Terry and James Tipmarsh, who are both part of the organizing committee for the Parasport Games happening this weekend. Mm -hmm. So they give us a preview of what's uh, coming up. Plus, we talk about um, when an athlete's beliefs uh, need to cross paths into sports, as we discussed last week. So we talk more in depth about that this week on the episode. Brock, thank you for this. Have a great show, a great day, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Thank you very much. That is Brock Richardson, the host of The Neutral Zone. Alex Smythe is at the AMI Weather Desk. Here is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We're going to start off in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, where there's snow off and on today with two centimeters expected to fall. The high is minus two, feeling like minus 12. In Charlottetown, PEI, it's mainly cloudy with snow beginning in the morning and up to four centimeters set to fall. The high is minus three, still feeling like minus 12. In St. John, New Brunswick, there's snow off and on today with up to four centimeters falling. The high is minus four and feeling like minus seven with the wind chill. In Quebec City, Quebec, it is cloudy, clearing this morning, and then it'll be sunshine as the day goes on. Minus 11 is the high, feeling like minus 22 with the wind chill. Here in Toronto, Ontario, it is a mix of sun and clouds with possible snow early this morning. The high is minus five, but with that wind chill makes it feel like minus 19. In Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, there is snow off and on today with a mix of sun and clouds. The high is minus nine, feeling like minus 23. In Brandon, Manitoba, it is mainly, uh, mainly sunny today. The high is minus 21, but feeling like minus 40. There is an extreme cold warning in effect due to those cold wind chill temperatures. And that cold continues as we make our way to Regina, Saskatchewan, where there's a mix of sun and clouds. The high is minus 17, but with that wind chill, again, it's feeling like minus 35. And that extreme cold warning is in effect there as well. In Lethbridge, Alberta, it is cloudy uh, with the clouds rolling in as the day goes on. There's wind gusts up to 70 kilometers per hour. The high is minus three, but with those strong winds, it makes it feel like minus 20. In Red Deer, Alberta, there's snow off and on today. The high is minus seven, feeling like minus 14. Up in Whitehorse, Yukon, there's four centimeters of snow set to fall today. Minus eight is the high, and it's minus 15 with that wind chill. In Kelowna, BC, there's up to two centimeters of snow falling today, but then becoming cloudy as the day goes on. The high is minus three. And finally, in Victoria, uh, in Vancouver, BC, it's cloudy with a chance of snow in the morning, turning to possible rain in the afternoon. The high is three degrees. And that's your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up next, engineers from the University of Colorado have developed a smart walking stick using artificial intelligence. Nelson Rago has some details on that one. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Engineers at the University of Colorado, go Buffaloes, are using artificial intelligence to develop a smart walking stick for people who are blind or partially sighted. Here to tell you more about it is Nelson Rago from Cool Blind Tech. Hey, good morning, Nelson. How you doing? Doing great. How are you? I'm well. So, Nelson, we know there's lots of smart sticks that are being developed. How does this smart walking stick work? Well, this one is, uh, like you said, coming from Colorado, so uh, that's uh, uh, um, a new location. <laughs> uh, so this one looks uh, very similar to uh, your typical cane that you would have, uh, with the exception of a couple of extra uh, devices. Uh, so in this particular study, they'll have um, a camera that uh, 
that has the algorithms and using computer um, computer vision technology to uh, assess the, and help you navigate what's around you. Uh, and this one in particular had a laptop in a backpack uh, that's connected to the uh, the person that was doing the study. And um, and then that camera would uh, would look around and make an assessment of uh, of where you need to go, and it'll give you a, a vibration or haptic feedback in the cane handle, and it'll give you a spoken audio as well for instructions of where to go. So in terms of the research, the researchers created a couple experimental locations, including a cafe. What did they want to study inside the cafe? Yeah, so uh, they got the sighted volunteers to um, uh, do a, a little study. Like it, They have a little lab that was set up, and in the lab uh, they set up uh, uh, tables and chairs, a uh, typical setup uh, that you have in cafe, and uh, they use this technology to uh, see if they can traverse uh, around the chairs and, and find an ideal uh place that someone would sit um, um there's a, a youtube video on it and, and they were talking that uh maybe most blind people would want their back to the wall <laughs> for some reason and uh uh being in a location that's uh, suitable for a blind person so I, i'm not sure how they came up with that but um <laughs> they did they did figure uh uh they did have 10 successful uh attempts at sitting in a chair that they wanted to sit uh and then they had two uh, mishaps, but they didn't go into detail of uh, what happened to those two. Uh, so for the most part, it was a successful uh, demonstration. Beyond a cafe, they also created a, a, a fake grocery store, an experimental grocery store. What was involved in that part of the study? Yeah, they, they set up a little uh, uh, grocery so store shelves, and, and on the shelves, they uh, they had a collection of cereal boxes. Uh, they had a predetermined uh, database of uh, the products, and then they used the... Um, the camera and the the laptop and the, the similar uh, algorithms that uh, are in the laptop is actually similar to uh, um, uh, the, those automatic uh, navigation systems that they have in cars. Uh, so so they're using actually the same technology here, um, and then the camera will will look at to see which cereal uh, box that uh, you're you're looking for, and then you'll use the uh, the directions to tell you to go move a little bit to the left to the right. Uh, and it'll get you to the cereal box that you're looking for, and uh, hopefully it's the right one. And then, uh, yeah, and then and then you'll have to figure out how to get to the, the cashier. Uh, but I mean, they're, they're getting you to the product, which is pretty cool. Uh, any word on a potential release date for this particular product? Yeah, so as I mentioned, like they they had a laptop and a backpack, so so they do want to miniaturize this. Uh, so they want to utilize a smartphone to do the uh, heavy lifting. Uh, the back end stuff. Um, so it's you're not walking around with a laptop in your backpack. Uh, so as soon as they get that figured out and, um, and make it more palatable for for everyday users uh, to use, uh, they're going to eventually market to the public. So what you're saying is the timeline is a ways away. <laughs> no, no, no crossing. Yeah, it's a ways. Fingers. Yeah, because. Yeah, if they're if they're coming out with a name called Smart Walking Stick, you know you know it's a ways away. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they, yeah. they gotta have a name for not, it. Not all the not all the way there yet. Not all the way there. No, uh, no. Nelson, let's move on to your tech tip. You want to offer some advice on how to use the live transcribe function on Android devices. Yeah, I was uh, playing around with my Pixel the other day, and um, I know we talked about this before uh, a couple of years later or uh, years ago um, when they first released this. Uh, but uh, it's pretty useful um, if you're a journalist or or this is specific for people with uh, hearing loss. Uh, but uh, I started playing around with it and it was pretty accurate. And uh, basically what it does, it utilizes the microphone and then it'll take that microphone, um, the audio from it, and it'll take the spoken word and uh, transcribe it into text uh, in the on your phone. Uh, and it's pretty accurate. Um, it's a little bit tricky using it with TalkBack, but uh, I mean, I don't think it was specifically for TalkBack users. Uh, but when I was reviewing the the uh, the text on it, it was, it was actually pretty good, and and they they made it really easy to turn it on and and to use it. So if you go into settings uh, and under settings accessibility, and then there's a live transcribe, you want to select and open there, and then they even give you an option to create a shortcut. Um, we could have a, a green button on the lower part of the, the right hand screen. And you could utilize it uh, quickly in case uh, you need to uh, be able to communicate with someone. Um, 
and there's uh, there's also uh, the option to actually save it as well. So if you want to keep it to, for future use, so it's a pretty cool uh, function, and it's a uh, it's usable for phones all the way back to Lollipop. So uh, if you have a newer phone, you're going to have this on your phone in accessibility settings. Uh, but if you can't find it there, um, you can go to the Play Store and actually download the the app as a standalone app and, and install it on your phone and, and play around with it. See if it works for you. Very good, Nelson. Thank you for this. Great thing. Thank you. That's Nelson, that's Nelson Rago, the founder of Cool Blind Tech. You can follow Nelson on Twitter at Cool Blind Tech, at Cool Blind Tech. Coming up after the break, Alex Smythe is curious. How do you support small business? What can you do to ensure small businesses thrive in your community? This is now with Dave Brown on AMI TV. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-TV. Nazreen Abdelmajid and Ramya Amuthan are standing by. But Alex Smythe has some thoughts about supporting small business. Yeah, Dave, that's uh, 100% true. You know, uh, this weekend I was actually uh, out and about uh, with some friends and we went and checked out an independent apiary and like small shop in town. And I have to tell you, it was the definition of a small business. You know, not only was it physically... The shop was small and uh, quite quaint, but, you know, had a lot of locally made and sourced uh, items in the shop and a few things that, you know, I had never seen or heard of before. And so I was happy to come in, drop some cash, pick up a few things, including honey soda, which I'm not sure if you've ever heard of this or anyone else on the panel have ever heard of this. But because it was an apiary, almost everything made with honey or beeswax and stuff, first off, it was delicious it was amazing it was unique and so it kind of got me thinking it's like okay well you know does anyone else have fun unique stories or takes on small businesses and how they like to go and and check out new places and get surprised by them because you don't find these types of experiences in the standard grocery stores or or big box stores so uh ramia why don't we start with you like do you have any experiences with uh, small businesses that kind of surprised you a bit yeah, when you said honey, I uh, not necessarily surprised, but I think of how I always buy local honey, and I'm not sure when this started, but um, first it was like neighbors who say, "Hey, uh, we know someone who sells honey, makes honey, and all that kind of thing," and then maple syrup, anything really sugar related, I guess. But also, <laughs> also uh, farmers markets. This is another way that I support very local, uh, especially obviously in the summertime. But I'm trying to expand even beyond that just to keep it eye on and ear on like where my produce is coming from my meat is coming from just anything that because I love cooking so I'm so in touch with my ingredients and um, that's how I support most locally but I, I wanted to shout out one particular example it's not necessarily a farmer's market but a market in general we have the evergreen brickworks near where I live um, in East York like in Toronto and they have incredible fun vendors come out all the time. I've gotten like last year, I'm trying to think of examples. I've, I've uh, bought, um, you know, anything like regular produce, but also produce that I'd never tried before, like garlic scapes for the first time. We'd also bought, you know, rhubarb honey and um, different ciders made of different fruits and berries. And it was very fun going there. And they're open every Saturday all year long. So great place to visit. There we go. Ramya with the shout out. I like that. Using the platform to give people the love they deserve. Nazreen, you live in Hippie Town in Guelph, Ontario. <laughs> how's, uh, how's life supporting a local in Guelph? It's great. Honestly, it's really great. I, I love the small shops and they have such unique uh, spots. And and I, I browse through the Guelph downtown and there's so many little businesses, little coffee shops. You know that they're like family owned coffee shops. And I love that so much. Um, I also started, I mean, like since COVID, that's when I really started to notice the small businesses. Before COVID, it, it didn't really hit me. And during COVID, that's when I discovered there were so many small online businesses that um, are amazing. They're so talented. They're great uh, gift giving like uh, ideas. Um, I just remember 
my sister, for example, she started making coasters and she started selling them online. And it's really, it's an intimate gift, honestly. Mm. It's handmade, it's really personal. And if you give it away, that's that's what it is. And there was so there's so many small businesses that are making clothing that is just so perfect. Like you know, it's handmade. It's so special when you're giving a gift to someone else. So um, I've collaborated with so many small businesses in the last couple of years, and it's been truly amazing. And um, so like I would get a discount or whatever, and then I would share it online on Instagram, and that's how it would work. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's super nice. All right, so call me the outlier in this round table because I'm three things, if anything. I am lazy, I am basic, <laughs> and I am obese. So you put these three things together and it becomes very difficult to support local when you live in a neighborhood that is primarily composed of chains. Pretty much anything but walking distance from my apartment is a major chain or a regional chain. Yeah, I'd say regional chain is probably like the smallest of the businesses that pop up around here. Everything is super, super corporate. And here's the thing, as somebody who is legally blind and cannot drive, if you think that I'm taking the bus to go shopping, you are not thinking straight. I like to live my life inside a certain level of walking distance, which is probably why I'm considering moving out of this neighborhood because I don't like living here, but I'm also lazy. You add laziness into this and laziness will stop you from moving places. When I was an Ottawa resident in a really cool neighborhood, I was a little bit better at supporting local, but if it's not walking distance, I'm going to have a lot of trouble supporting it. Even in terms of the online experience, if I find your website difficult to use, or I'm not crazy about creating 70 million accounts to buy things, it's going to dissuade me, it's going to stop me from doing it. And then you add in the fact that I am overweight in a significant way. I can't just buy clothes from an independent vendor. I need to go try my clothes on, or if I'm buying something, it needs to be a major name that's mass produced that I know is going to fit my uh, curvy body properly. So call me the outlier here, but Alex, uh, what say you in regards to your experience? Maybe, maybe even like bringing in a little bit of that experience because you do live in what I'll call a suburb of Toronto, although like not really a suburb of Toronto. It's, it is its own kind of town, but where you're at, do you find it mm -hmm. difficult to support independent business? You know, it, it can be, Dave. Um, yeah, and I, I would certainly say Burlington is, you know, for the better part, a, a suburb of Toronto working on the, the outskirts of it, but uh it, it can be, and uh, I know from when I was living in Toronto, it was the same thing, you know, in, in a similar area as you are, where it's just, you, you got all the standard businesses, and especially if you don't drive or you, you can't uh, get around easily, you're, you're going to have a harder time kind of supporting those smaller businesses. Now, thankfully, in Burlington, there are still quite a few independent businesses and stuff that are in and around downtown, downtown that you can go to rather easily easily and you you can kind of shop there you can do things there but um like for instance the the apr i was talking about i'll, I'll shout them out because they, they were great backed by bees they are literally in the middle of nowhere they're in the northeast part of burlington almost on milton just nothing but farmland obviously you need space for bees oh yeah i couldn't get there otherwise if if i didn't get a ride with my friends it's so, true it'd be a real sting to try and uh, get out there uh on your ooh, yeah yeah but i i heard such a buzz about it that i i had to check it out myself and so um it, it was one of those things i was happy i was able to get out there but there wouldn't have been in any public transit or anything i would have to have ubered out there and then you're adding to a cost and then well yeah it's not it a hive of activity <laughs> we we could keep this going all all uh all day but uh let's us keep it short and sweet you'd, you'd, Dave, okay you'd, um you'd really have to but... you'd really have to comb the white pages to find a way out there <laughs> okay okay i i'll spare the listeners uh before we lose any more to all the all the bad puns i think but... we're just showing off our stripes i i mm. bravo bravo <laughs> so dave you just keep I'm about giving to and giving and giving <laughs> yeah but uh <laughs> I, uh, I'm going to need you to move on to the next uh, uh, part of this. But uh, um, <laughs> but as I was saying, you know, it, it can be hard to to support local businesses. But thankfully, you know, as as uh, uh, Nizreen talked about with uh, with the the advent of online uh, growth and businesses that 
there was more opportunity. There's more diversity, especially since the pandemic, where, you know, these small businesses really had to adapt to being able to get their services out there when people couldn't physically come into the shops. So there are other ways that you can support them. You can go online. You can check out yeah. their online shops and, and mm. get things shipped to you if you can't physically make it there. Yeah, I, I find online, it's, it's been a bit of a double-edged sword because it's become really easy to keep using major retailers in the online world. But you're right, it, it has allowed for a little bit of reach from some of these smaller businesses. Ramya, how has online impacted your experience in trying to support local? Uh, like, when I think online, my experience has been finding promotions through social media. So, you know, uh, for example, in the wintertime, I'm always trying to find somebody making local treats, right? Uh, the hot chocolate bombs is a good example a couple of years ago, things like mm -hmm. that. And people promote all over social with local businesses. You can literally type in, you know, GTA chocolate, hot chocolate bombs and find um, several people just putting up their businesses, promoting. And sometimes they'll deliver. Sometimes you got to go pick it up. So I agree with you that like driving can be uh, a major issue when it comes to actually collaborating with these people or buying their products. But I found that I can still get a hold of somebody somewhere who is willing to deliver mm -hmm. maybe for an extra fee or fi uh, fish ship right like <laughs> like local soaps and things like that are usually um easily shippable so yeah Nazreen, you're the one who kind of uh mentioned the way that online has influenced the way you're engaging with local business scratch a little bit deeper on that one how are you using online to try and be a little more supportive of small business I'm so glad you brought up the inaccessibility, like inaccessibility of like websites, because I think that's a big problem that a lot of these small businesses have. Um, and uh, so basically I go through Instagram. I think that's my main source when it comes to that. And I look at their website. If I find that it's just inaccessible, I DM the business and I'm like, hey, I'm looking for this, 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 that. Mm. What can you provide for me? And this is why I just can't use your website. Like, just let me know if you have this sort of thing and how I, I can buy it. So uh, they provide me with pictures, descriptions, and um, like uh, how to purchase this item. So it's it's not that difficult to kind of go around it. I know there's so many glitches in these websites or they're mm. not thinking of accessibility um so uh, it is a it, it's a good way to dm them i think that's a perfect communication like they're really quick on that and that's what i love about small businesses i feel like they're very active on social media to try to build their business yeah, the way to engage with your clients on social is a total game changer. Alex, mm -hmm. you're the one who raised this topic on the antenna, so that means you get last word on this one. How do you engage with small businesses at a at an online level? Because it, it sounds like a little bit like um like like it's a like a, like a false a false binary that it needs to be one or the other, but they can intersect. Uh, yeah, absolutely, and I I think when uh, for myself uh, when it comes to trying to support small businesses, I will look there first when I'm trying to find either a gift or 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 trying to find something specific because there's you're gonna have a probably a bit of a, a better chance of finding something a bit more unique a bit more thoughtful as I, I think it might have been uh, Ramya who talked about it, it was where you know there's a bit more care and uh, attention paid to it they, they're a bit more uh, unique in the type of items you can get, like I mentioned with uh, Back by Bees, like there's a lot of cute little knickknacks and stuff that would make great gifts. So I think starting and trying to identify some small businesses where you can start off and look, and then if you can't find it, okay, you look to the other major websites or the other major stores to try to find what you're looking for. But use it as a first stop to get an idea or inspiration and then move on from there. Mm. Alex, thank you for pollinating this conversation. Uh, thank you for all the puns, Dave. I, uh, I can't get enough. I do what I can. Nazreen, thank you for this. Have a great day. You too. Ramya, you don't get to go away just yet. What's coming up on Kelly and Ramya at 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv and AMI-audio?
Okay. Uh, we're talking about proximity and transparency because kind of like what I've been talking about, we're uh, this is a food trend for 2023. Mm. And actually, our nutritionist, Julia Caranches, is uh, bringing this up with us. We're also meeting social media influencer Mara Hutchinson, and she's joining us to talk about her channel, her content, also her time on uh, We Are a Family on AMI-tv. And it's book club time, Dave, so we're discussing Misery by Stephen King. It, there's a lot of discussion around this. Jacob Shymansky was a recommender of the book. He's our technical producer on AMI-audio, and he's going to join us for the convo. Going old school with a little bit of misery. Yeah. I love it. Ramya, thank you for this. Have a great show. Thank you. That's Ramya Amuthan, the co-host of Kelly and Ramya, which comes your way 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI. Coming up next, it's news quiz time. Putting contestants Alicia Yardley, Greg David, and Alex Smythe to the test. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's Tuesday. It's the last segment of the show. You know what that means. Let's fire up the weekly news quiz. Ooh, that's right. The weekly news quiz brought to you by Paul Daniel. A couple of neat contestants joining us this week, including your reigning champion, Alex Smythe. Hello, Alex. Hey, Dave. We've got Greg David joining the show from the Ottawa area up there in Chelsea, Quebec. Hello, Greg. Thanks for having me. And a first-time contestant on the weekly news quiz, at least in the Now with Dave Brown era of the show, it's Alicia Yardley. Alicia, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks. I'm excited to dethrone the reigning champ. Oh, boy. You know, it's it's not as glamorous <laughs> wow. as it sounds because we might invite you back. That's that's the danger. Uh -oh. <laughs> that's the danger. If you win, you might get invited back. Let's share the rules of the quiz. There are three rounds of questions with three questions per round. Each question comes with three multiple choice options. If you answer the question without hearing the options, you get two points. If you need to hear the options and get it right, you get one. If you get it wrong, we move on until the point is awarded. The contestants was drawn by Paul's wife, Mary Daniel, to avoid any controversy or favoritism. <laughs> the order will be Alex, Greg, and Alicia. Alex, question number one of round number one. Last week, some faculty members at this Atlantic University went on strike. What university is it? I'm going to take a stab in the dark, Dalhousie University. That is incorrect. So next crack goes to Greg David. Um, all I will take the choices, please. Was it Cape Breton? Was it the University of Prince Edward Island or was it Dalhousie? Uh, let's say uh, University of Cape Breton. That is correct. It, that a statement following the strike, the union said it's seeking a pay raise in the deal. Should be mentioned Memorial in Newfoundland and Labrador also on strike. So it could have been a bit of a trick question there. I would have given I would have given anybody the, the, the ding for either Memorial or Cape Breton. But that was uh, well done by Greg. So one point for Greg, who gets question number two of round number one. Greg, the U.S. Department of Transportation is investigating which airline for possibly breaking federal law by knowingly offering unrealistic scheduling during the holiday debacle Ooh, i really want to take a stab at it but i don't want to gamble with that point so i'll take the choices please was it delta united or southwest Ooh, i want to say so i'm gonna say delta that is incorrect alicia you get a crack at this was it united or southwest I'm going to say Southwest. That is correct. One point for Alicia. Southwest canceled more than 16,000 flights in late December. Question number three, going to Alicia, going to the uh, sports world. The NBA fined Golden State Warriors Stephen Curry $25,000 for throwing this into the stands during last Wednesday's game against the Memphis Grizzlies. What did he throw? Can I get the options, please? Was it a towel? Was it a mouthpiece or a basketball? I'm going to guess towel. That is incorrect. Alex, a chance to steal a point. Uh, I'm going to say mouthpiece. That is correct. 
One point for Alex. Got a 1-1-1 tie after round one with just 74 seconds left in what had been a close game. Curry was ejected for throwing the mouthpiece, frustrated as, as team's unproductive offense. So after one round, 1-1-1, one, 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 all square with question number one of round number two going to Greg. Oh gosh, I've got to get closer to my screen to read this properly. <laughs> Amira El-Gawabi was appointed to a new position with the Canadian government. Greg, what is that position? I'll take the, the options, please. Not even going to hazard a guess. Is it a special representative on global warming, Canadian ambassador to the United Arab Emirates, or a special representative on combating Islamophobia? Um, let's go with option B, please. That is incorrect. Alicia, an opportunity to steal a point here. Um, it is C, the um, combating Islamophobia. That is correct. One point for Alicia. And we'll be talking to Fareed Khan of Canadians United Against Hate about that appointment a little bit later in the week on this show. So two points for Alicia now with a lead. And question number two of round number two going to Alicia. Alicia, last Wednesday, Chris Hopkins was sworn in as, excuse me, Chris Hipkins was sworn in as Prime Minister of this Commonwealth country. Which country was it? Um, can I have the options, please? Was it Australia, Antigua and Barbuda, or New Zealand? I'm going to say New Zealand. That is correct. Hipkins was appointed successor to Jacinda Ardern, who'd resigned earlier this month. So, Alicia, with a commanding lead here, three points to one and one here, as we enter question number three of round number two, heading to Alex. Alex, which federal entity's employees are asking for a series of pay bumps worth more than 30% of current wages to keep with inflation, a request some observers have described as unprecedented? Yes. Oh, I, I know this, and I... The problem is I, I can't remember this specific one. I'll know when I hear it, so can I get the options? Is it Canada Post, the Canada Revenue Agency, or the Immigration and Refugee Board of Canada? It's a Canada Revenue Agency, which was a part of the CBSA once upon a time. Well, there it is. Okay, yeah. well done. Bang. Well, does he it. get an extra point for that? No, <laughs> no, we don't just. You know, I'm don't trying to go for it. <laughs> we don't just give up willy-nilly points here for bonus <laughs> for bonus knowledge. So that puts Alex at two points. The union representing tens of thousands of Canada Revenue Agencies says it wants to bring in salaries in lines with the Canada Border Services Agency. There you go. The little bonus point that Alex had mentioned. Okay, so after two rounds of play, we have Alicia with three points, Alex with two, and Greg with one. Anybody's game with three questions left on the board alicia you get the first crack at this one. Oh, another opportunity for me to lean closer to the screen and read this charles mcgonagall a former leader in fbi counterintelligence has been indicted for conspiring to violate u.s sanctions by taking secret payments from an associate of which leader can i get the options is it vladimir putin kim jong-un or recap tayyip erdogan I'm going to guess Erdogan. That is incorrect. Alex, a crack at this for a steal. Yes, this is Vladimir Putin. That is correct. McGonagall was also charged with concealing secret payments of $225,000 that he allegedly received from Albanian intelligence operatives. Alex, here's an opportunity for you. Now tied for the lead with a chance to get really up on this one. Question number two of round number three. Millions of people in which country went without electricity or internet during a 12-hour blackout last week? I'll need the options, Dave. Was it Israel? Was it Pakistan? Or was it Bangladesh? Oh, geez, I, I have no idea. So I'm literally taking a, a swing here. Uh, I am going to go with Israel. That is incorrect. Greg, an opportunity for you to get this match a little bit closer. What were the other the options, Dave? Uh, Pakistan or Bangladesh? Let's go with Pakistan. That is correct. Officials had shut down the power overnight to uh, conserve fuel, but weren't able to get the system back online. Very, wow. very good. Um, let's head over to round number three. Uh, question number three of round number three with Alex and Alicia both at three points. Greg at two. Greg can flat out win this thing if he uh, guesses correctly without the options. Or we get a three-way tie, and we do have tiebreaker questions available. So, Greg, Ottawa area MPP... 
Ottawa area MPP Lisa McLeod spoke last week about how it was a nightmare running for re-election in 2022 while struggling with this particular condition. What is the condition? I should have paid more attention to my local politics just down the road for me. I have to go with the options, Dave. Is it bipolar disorder, rheumatoid arthritis, or effects of long COVID? Let's go with B, uh, rheumatoid arthritis. Ooh, that is incorrect. Alicia, an opportunity to steal the point and win the game. I'm going to say long COVID. That is incorrect, thus giving Alex the win via a default point. I shouldn't be so joyous as I talk about bipolar disorder. My apologies. The progressive conservative MPP spoke to TVO about running for re-election while also dealing with bipolar disorder, calling it uh, the toughest election campaign yet. So with that, the defending champion continues to be our winner, and the winner is... Smythe with the big default points win. Congratulations, sir. The two sweetest words in the English language. Default, Dave, uh, according to Homer Simpson. (laughs) I think wrapping this thing up on a Simpsons quote is the absolute way to go. Alex, congratulations on the win. Thank you. Greg, thank you for participating. You made that real close. You had a big opportunity for a win there. Just a little bit more CBC Ottawa, and you'd be all set. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for having me, Dave. (laughs) And Alicia, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you for taking part in the quiz. We've got about 30 seconds on the clock. You went to go see Joseph in the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat a couple weekends ago in Toronto. How was the show? It was fabulous. Um, I... I had such a good time. I originally saw it in, uh, I want to say 92 when Donny Osmond played Joseph. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh my God. That was a performance, but (laughs) I mean, this was great. It was a touring company, I think from London. Um, you know, there was, there was tap dancing, their vocals were phenomenal. Um, just some of the, the notes they were able to hit and, the staging was great. They threw confetti at the audience. Oh. And how could you not like confetti? Oh, so my gosh. Highly recommend it um, if anybody wants to have a, a good bit of fun for two hours on a Saturday. Alicia, thank you for playing along, and thank you for the theater review. We appreciate it. Thank you. I look forward to my ongoing segment. <laughs> That's Alicia Yardley. You can hear from her on our show, and you can also catch her on Kelly and Company. It's all the time we have for the show today. Until we're back again tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, I'm Dave Brown, reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. I'm Marjorie Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hadjar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.